This is Susan Gaston, and this is a special world outreach episode of the Valley Avon podcast. Today, we're talking to Emil Helm, who grew up at Black Rock Church in Fairfield and now serves the Lord in Malaga, Spain. Let's listen to this conversation now. How are you? I'm doing great, thank you. So, nice to have you back in the States with us. It's great to be back. I've enjoyed it. So, Emil, can you tell people um, a little bit about where you are and what your ministry is? So, my wife and I live in southern Spain, in Malaga, and our ministry typically is we provide support to Latin Americans working amongst the least reached people in the world. Uh, And since COVID, we've been focused actually more in Spain, uh, we have a community center for uh, displaced people who live in Malaga. Uh, we minister primarily to North Africans, but also in recent times we've seen an uptick in people coming from Eastern Europe. Uh, and we are anticipating shortly that we will have uh, Ukrainian immigrants yet, uh, arriving. I'm about to go into Spanish. Mm-hmm. I was just communicating a minute ago in Spanish, sorry. Uh, we're, we're anticipating having an uh, uptake in Ukrainians arriving. Wow. So what services did this does this community center provide? So our main draw is we provide uh, a food bank. We have a food bank. And so we distribute food to over 150 families a week. Um, but we also have uh, language classes. We have a women's co-op. We have a Bible study. Um, and we have a variety of other activities that can be offered from time to time. Okay. Now, this community center, you mentioned you became more involved with it during the pandemic. Can you explain a little bit about how that worked? Well, when the pandemic hit Spain, we went into a complete uh, lockdown, quarantine. Everyone in Spain was locked into their homes, and they were only allowed to leave to go to the grocery store, to the pharmacy, or the doctors. And only essential workers were allowed out of their home. Um we figured from the start we were essential workers because we were providing food to people in need. Um, But it took us a while to get paperwork in order to prove to the authorities that we were essential workers. And the risk of getting stopped was sufficient that we weren't heading out, just going, even though we were certain we had the right to. But when we opened up our center after being closed for a number of weeks, we had people lining up and coming who hadn't uh, worked for over a month. They haven't received any money, and they had no idea where they're going to get their next meal from. And these are people who were employed before the pandemic happened. And so quickly, uh, one of my colleagues saw that we had food that was rejected, and he asked if he can hand that food out. And then another colleague, she took the money out of her pocket and sent someone off to go buy some food. We took a collection amongst ourselves, bought some food, then donations started coming in. And by the end of 2020, 2020, we had raised over $25,000 and bought food and served people for nine months with food that uh, we bought. Nine months? Nine months. Wow. Wow. So 
what did this food distribution during the pandemic, how did, how did that affect your ability to reach into the community? It actually uh, increased our ability to reach in the community. So we work with the state with our food bank. And so um, the food that we generally get comes from the state. We couldn't give that food out to people who are on the list. But there's also some strings attached to that food. We cannot openly evangelize with the food that comes from the state. But the food that we're buying with our own money, we could put uh, evangelistic materials right into the food uh, with them. We had opportunities to pray with people who were uh, desperate. We had uh, the opportunity to tell people that Jesus loves them. Um, and we saw people come to faith during the pandemic uh, because we were ministering. One quick story, if I can share a story. There was a Moroccan believer, a Moroccan follower of Jesus, who one morning early on when we were opened up, she was walking up and down the little alley that our center's uh, on, and she was saying, where's the imam? Where's the imam? He receives money from the Saudis. Is he handing out food to you? These people here, they're Christians. These people, they love Jesus, and they're giving you food. You need to listen to what they say. Uh, she is a woman who is without shame. And uh, in my studies recently, I, I was studying honor and shame. And the term shameless uh, came to have a new meaning. Mm. Because when someone is without shame, they have nothing to lose. And she was boldly saying to her Moroccan uh, countrymen, that these people are Christians and they love Jesus and they're helping you. Wow. Did any of the Moroccans receive that? I know one woman who became a believer during that time. Mm -hmm. So how they received it, uh, she was saying it in Arabic and then she told us afterward what she was saying. Um, so the long-term result of that, I don't know. But yeah. she was very boldly saying, these people, they love Jesus. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. So you mentioned mostly um, North African immigrants come to 1042. Is that correct? That was our initial, uh, uh, the reason why we located the center where it is and uh, our n initial desire was to reach North Africans. But in the time since we've opened, We've seen people coming from all over the world. We have 35 different nations or nationalities represented. We have people from a variety of different sub-Saharan areas. We have people coming from different North African countries, uh, from the Middle East, from Eastern Europe, from the Caucasus. Um, we have Latin Americans coming to us. We have Spanish nationals coming to us. Um, so the world is coming to us at 1042. Wow. That's amazing. You mentioned that um, sometimes you do a Bible study. How's that been received? So uh, the Bible study, most of the guys have been coming to the Bible studies have been either Latin Americans or uh, Eastern Europeans. Um, and it's been well received. There's been a, uh, it's a times when there's more and less people that come. Um, but it's been well received and there's been interest. And so it, one of the things that's interesting is that um, I wrote a paper for my master's on communication in multicultural teams, and there was a bit of conflict at one point uh, over uh, understanding of relationship and task and all that. Um, but 
we try to put an emphasis on the relationship over the task. Mm -hmm. And through that building relationships, talking with people on the street, seeing someone has a moment and saying, hey, let's go get a cup of coffee. There's a little cafe uh, right about like 50 feet from where our center is mm -hmm. uh, and go sit down and coffee. From that, um, discussions have happened and Bible studies have happened. Um, so there's a young man whose name is he's a Ukrainian. He's covered in tattoos and he has a tattoo over his eye that says hopeless. Um, one of our interns, so we had a young couple from uh, South Dakota that was in Spain for a year and they were inviting to their house on a regular basis. And he started reading the Bible. Um, he has not uh, become a believer yet, but it was really interesting to, to see how this relationship developed. Uh, and one of my friend's uh, colleagues says that she's praying that some day he'll tattoo was yes. over uh, the other tattoo. So I say he was hopeless, but now he's found hope. Um, so we're praying for young people like him. I probably should have censored his name. Uh, is there any way we can go back and censor his name? Um, now that you've said that, yes, I can edit it later. <laughs> and, uh, can I just say... Um, uh, I can just make it go silent or beep it. It's fine. Okay. Because um, I shouldn't say real names, and I should have said, like, Andre. So, sorry. Uh, and anyways, so yeah. Uh, and there's people like that uh, young man that we're, we're praying for. Mm. Um, another way that uh, we've seen God working during the pandemic is with this uptake of Eastern Europeans coming to us, there's a young man that's arrived and he's from Belarus and he's a believer and he's been rooming with uh, four North African guys. And so he's been talking to a colleague of mine who lived for 15 years in Morocco and asking, how do I share my faith with my roommates? So we have clients, people who are coming for humanitarian aid mm -hmm. who are Christ followers, who are seeking to share their faith with other clients who are not Christ followers. And so it's really, really exciting to see the world that's coming together, but believers from all over the world coming together to work in sharing the gospel. So on our team, we have North Americans, English-speaking people, but we also have Latin Americans on our team. We have Mexicans, we have Chileans, we have Venezuelans, um, and we've had people from uh, Asia come. We've had uh, Chinese interns come from Hong Kong. Um, and so it's been really neat to see uh, the, the body of Christ from different parts of the world working too. There's one of our uh, clients, uh, was a West African uh, Christian uh, who uh, was coming. And uh, it's really exciting. She recently had gotten an internship at a restaurant. So it was really neat to see that she was getting employment. Um, so That's great. That's great. So you're very close to Morocco. Yes. Um, we... If you drive only about 15, 20 minutes down the coast from where we're at, on a clear day, you can see Morocco. And it's about an hour drive down to Ahaseras, uh, and it's an hour ferry ride across to Ceuta, which is a Spanish enclave, 
Or if you go down another 40 minutes, you go over to Tarifa, and then you can go from Spain right into Tanger in Morocco. Uh, and that ride is really beautiful as you come over the mountains, you can see straight across the, the straits. Um, but the strait is also uh, the gateway uh, to Africa or to Europe. And so for those of us who go and have the means and have passports and the ability to travel, it's a beautiful, beautiful trip. But for those who are trying to escape from war in Central Africa, um, it's a treacherous trip. So every night there are uh, boats that cross the strait, and many of them uh, capsize. Uh, we don't know the number of how many people die, but there are people dying on a regular basis trying to get across the strait. Um, it costs 8,000 euros uh, to cross the straits. That's the number that I've heard often. I've not researched it personally. It's just a number that it's been said so many times. Um, and so people, particularly the Sub-Saharan Africans who get to Morocco and they're desperate to get across the border, mm -hmm. they will sell themselves uh, for the 8,000 uh, euros to get across. So when they get to Spain, now they have an 8,000 euro debt uh, that they have to pay off. But they'll, they will earn um, maybe 20 uh, euros a day. Uh, and so it, it's a 8,000 euro bill is an impossible bill to pay off. So what kind of work do they end up doing to, to pay off that bill? So if you visit the Sun Coast, you go to the beach, you'll probably see uh, guys with sheets that have strings tied to the corners that have uh, fake Na Nikes on them, fake Adidas on them, fake uh, handbags, fake sunglasses. Um, so there's guys selling those, and they generally are uh, sub-Saharan Africans that are selling those along the beach. Uh, but then they also work in a lot of the greenhouses uh, and um, in agriculture. Okay. Okay. I think you mentioned that um, you know someone who's trying to work am amongst these sort of indentured servants, as it were, in the greenhouses. In Almeria, I think it in was? In Almeria. I have Almeria. a friend who's up there. Um, I have a couple friends who are up there. Uh, one's a Mexican family, Mexican couple, doing amazing work. Uh, and uh, they've had some discover discovery Bible studies in the past with these migrant workers. Um, and I know of uh, work, trying to work with uh, trafficked women. Mm -hmm. um, the work there is actually, some of the work is really dangerous, so it's even to, to suggest that there are people working some of this. Um, it gets a little risky, but the fact that um, there are people working there to try to show hope and love and, and the love of Christ in this community, um, it's really exciting, and uh, we need to be praying for the people who are uh, doing that work. Um, my friend's a pastor of a church uh, there, and they have activities that they hold in the church, uh, and the people are willing to enter the church building to have like Spanish classes or English classes, and it's really exciting to see that type of work going on up the coast. Um, so yeah. That's great. Okay, so you mentioned the church. Tell me a little bit about the Spanish church right now. 
So the church in Spain um, is about 2% of the population. And of that population, about half of the believers are not Spanish nationals. So Latin Americans comprise of a large percentage of this Spanish church, probably almost half of the total number of evangelicals in Spain. So the church in Spain, I want to honor the church in Spain because the church in Spain actually has a long history. Um, back during the Reformation, they were contemporaries of Luther in Spain who were uh, reading the Bible and realizing that there were problems with the Catholic Church. Um, the, we have the Bible in Spanish uh, thanks to Spanish reformers who actually were head of the King James translation. The Bible was being translated into Spanish before the King James. So the Reina Valera translation of the Bible we have as a gratitude to the Spanish reformers. But then the Inquisition came. Uh, and uh, that was a rough time, but there's been s research to show that there's been a remnant of people who've been uh, connected to Reformation movements throughout the history of Spain. Then starting during the Industrial Revolution, industrialists from Germany and industrialists from uh, the UK, uh, from England, came down to Spain and they brought their religion with them. And so now uh, we have uh, the evangelical church uh, that's established in Spain. And one of the largest denominations and historical denominations has been the Brethren Church. Uh, and so uh, during the, what they call the First Republic, there was freedom and the church was growing, but then there was a civil war in Spain and then uh, a fascist dictator took over. And um, it was really hard to be a Christian. I have friends who tell stories uh, from their grandparents of having uh, armed military come in and break up their prayer meetings, uh, and that happened in Spain. So the this church in Spain today has all that history with it. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, if you were to ask me uh, eight years ago what I thought of Spain, my impression of Spain has changed uh, profoundly as I've learned and, and grown. And I'd say in my first five years in Spain, my understanding of the church in Spain, my ideas about the church in Spain changed at least five times. <laughs> um, and I've grown to deeply respect and appreciate the church in Spain, but no church is perfect. Uh, and um, sometimes as an outsider, it's easier to see some of uh, the faults of a church um, but also when you live outside of your own culture, it's sometimes easier to see the faults now of your own church. So I want to make sure I'm respectful to my brothers and sisters in Spain. Um, but uh, there's great need uh, to bring the gospel to Spain. There's great need to, to do the research and engage uh, the Spanish culture. We in the United States... Uh, we received the blessing of leaders like, um, I'm going to draw a blank on his name now, um, the founder of Crew, I know his name, of Crusade. Bill Bright? Bill Bright, 
who developed the four spiritual laws. We had people like Billy Graham, mm -hmm. who really knew the culture and knew how to speak the truth of the gospel in a relevant way to the culture. I pray that there'd be somebody who knows the culture in Spain and comes up with a means of re relaying the gospel truths in a way that reached the heart of the Spanish people. Hmm. Um, so in Spain, in the last several years, we've launched Perspectives. Uh, this Perspectives on the World Christian Movement class. It started, our first intensive class was in the fall of 2019. And now we've had two virtual classes. And so in the last three years, we've had 70 people in Spain take perspectives, 50 of whom have graduated. Um, and the pandemic was actually a blessing because after our intensive, we were we actually at the beginning of the pandemic, we were worried, how are we going to continue to uh, promote perspectives? If we lose our momentum, we're not going to be able to continue with this. But when the pandemic happened, we were forced to go online. Mm -hmm. And then when we offered perspectives online, we were able to offer it to the entire nation. And not only that, we had students from the Middle East and North Africa, and we had students from uh, the Americas taking the class with us. So there were, not just in our class, because our class had people from the Americas and from uh, North Africa, Middle East, and all over Spain. But at the same time, there were students in, from Mexico, down to Argentina, all their different national programs happening at the same time. So it's really exciting to see perspectives uh, be launched in Spain. So tell me a little bit more about what perspectives is and, you know, should people, should believers here in America take it? So uh, perspectives is a 15 week class on the plan of God for the nations. Um, we like to say that it's not a missions class, but it's a movement. Um, so yes, uh, God's plan for the nations is missions, but missions isn't something that some weird people do on the other side of the world, but missions is what we weird people do everywhere we're at. <laughs> and so I say that because in Spain, uh, anybody who's an evangelical Christian is a, is a bit odd. Um, but uh, Christians, Mission is for all Christ followers, regardless of where they are. And I speak in a bit in jest as a missionary because I hope uh, if you were to see how I'm dressed, you'd see that I'm a regular person. Uh, I'm not uh, somebody to be afraid of. But mission is something that we all do. And so perspectives, 15 weeks, five weeks of Bible, starting in Genesis and going to Revelation and seeing how uh, the glory of God is to be declared to the nations, is all throughout the Bible. Then there are, if I'm correct, three weeks of uh, church history, two weeks of culture, and then five weeks of strategy. The, the culture part is looking at how do we cross culture with the gospel, not necessarily a study of cultures per se. And so who should take that? I would say that the person who's about to retire and is looking at the fact that they have their health and they have the retirement ahead of them and want to use it for uh, the kingdom. It doesn't mean that you have to, to sell your house and move somewhere, but you have the, the f mobility now. That course is for you. If you are the stay-at-home mom who is raising your children 
and you know that you may have an hour, maybe not, but you may have an hour uh, to pray, and you want to be able to pray strategically. Or if you're uh, the prayer warrior who wants to know how to pray, the course is for you. If you are a pastor or a uh, leader in your church, the course is for you. If uh, you're a young adult who is looking at your career ahead of you, uh, the course is for you. Uh, the course is for everybody. Um, and a lot of the students tend to be young people, which is really exciting. But I also see there's a lot of older people who are taking the class, which is really exciting. That's great. That's excellent. Well, how can we be praying for you? So a very timely prayer request, and it's a t- prayer request that uh, I believe is going to be relevant for the uh, future, uh, for the next several months at least, is we anticipate that Ukrainian refugees mm-hmm. will be arriving uh, in Malaga. Uh, I read this last week in the Spanish newspaper that Malaga is one of the four places in Spain that the government has chosen to relocate uh, Ukrainian refugees. So when we anticipate, we have reason to anticipate that they will arrive. We are praying that God would send us someone who speaks English and either Russian or Ukrainian. Um, Preferably that they would be English and Ukrainian speaking. But we have uh, a growing number of Eastern Europeans from all over the former Soviet Union. So Russian-speaking would uh, help us with all of the different people groups that are coming. I heard that some of the younger Ukrainians may not speak Russian, um, but if we had a Russian speaker who spoke English or Spanish, uh, that would be of tremendous help. Um, And... I would ask that you pray for our Perspectives program in Spain. Um, We are still in a pilot uh, phase, and so we pray that God would continue to bring the the right people to us that would help us to grow and establish Perspectives in Spain. In the upcoming months, we'll be having trainings for facilitators and for instructors, and we will be doing another intensive uh, this coming fall. So I covet your prayers for Perspectives. And I ask that you pray for uh, Sarah and I as we raise our uh, little boy in Spain. We've chosen to have him in the Spanish school system, uh, and we pray that we would have wisdom in how to raise him to fear the Lord um, while being integrated in the society in which we live. That's great. So what I'm hearing is um, we can be praying for the refugees that are going to be coming, and really for the ability of 1042 to be able to greet them and to meet refugees who are coming with such incredible distress and trauma with the love of Christ. Yes, exactly. You know, for someone bilingual to help um, receive these refugees, right, in a language that, that they can appreciate hearing. And for your perspectives program, the training that's going to be this spring, the intensive class in the fall. Yes. And then wisdom for you guys as parents of your little boy. He's how old? He's going to be five in June. Wow. Boy, the time flies, doesn't it? Yes. When you're a parent. Yes. <laughs> so, well, let me close by praying for you for these things. Thank you. Father God, I thank you that in the movement of people, your purposes are at work. 
And Lord, I pray that there would be opportunities as refugees, whether from North Africa, from Ukraine, or from Russia, as they come to Malaga and they encounter the people at 1042, that they would encounter a powerful witness of love and of comfort and of peace that can only come from you. Lord God, I pray that they would realize that because they got they received from 1042 that they have seen the Lord in these people who work there. Lord, I do pray that you would bring someone who is bilingual, who speaks um, English as well as either Russian or Ukrainian, Lord, to be able to reach out to the, to the people that are coming. Lord, I pray for the perspectives class. Lord, I pray the training session this spring would go really well and that the intensive this fall would be extremely well attended, Lord God. It can be a sold-out crowd, Lord God. That'd be fine with us, Lord, to get the word out, Lord, about your plan for the nations. And finally, Lord, we do lift up uh, Emil and his family. I ask that you give him and his wife wisdom. Lord, um, give them insight as they raise their son, Lord God. And may he grow in wisdom and in favor with you and with man. In the name of Jesus, amen. amen. Thank you for listening to this special World Outreach episode of the Valley Avon podcast. I hope you were inspired to hear about what our missionaries are doing around the world. If you'd like to support our missionaries through prayer, or financial support, please go to the Valley Outreach page on our website or use the link in the podcast description. Thank you for listening and have a great day.